This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. See, when he said that he was surety and therefore he would take the place of Benjamin, he used this word instead of tachat. Tachat, tachat. Don't say that next to somebody you're st- looking at. <laughs> because he said that in Genesis 44, 33. Let thy servant abide instead of, tachat, instead of the lad, a bondman to my Lord, and let the lad go up with his brethren. That's the same word. That's the same Hebrew word that Abraham used in Genesis twenty two thirteen. In Genesis twenty two thirteen, where it says, and Abraham lifted up his eyes, You remember, that was the point where he was going to sacrifice Isaac. But it says, And Abraham lifted up his eyes, looked, and behold, behind him a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of, takat, in the stead of his son. It's on Mount Moriah. The altar is built. Isaac has been tied up. Isaac has been laid on the altar. The knife is raised to kill Isaac above right, to kill him. And for all intents and purposes, Abraham has offered Isaac in his heart, which is the way it is described in Hebrews 11:17. In Hebrews 11:17 it says, "By faith Abraham when he was tried, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. The altar was for Isaac to die on. It was the altar was for Isaac to die on, but, tachat, but, instead of Isaac was the ram that died on the altar. The knife was to kill Isaac, but instead of Isaac, it was the ram that the knife was plunged into. The wood was to burn up Isaac, but instead of Isaac, the wood burned up the ram. That's what made that five-year-old little girl's 
answer at the Del Mar Fair Child Evangelism booth so astounding, so great when I pointed to the cross and I said, what's he doing up there? I was expecting her to say he's dying for our sin. She said, he's taking our place. I've never forgotten that. She has the concept of tekat. She has the concept of instead of. Just think of Isaac standing on the, uh, on the side right there up in Mount Moriah. The wind is blowing. Isaac's watching the ram t- take his place, and he's thinking, hey, that was my altar to die on. That knife was to kill me. That wood was to burn me up. And that's what we do when we stand beneath the cross of Jesus and look up, and we say, hey, that was my cross. I should have died on that cross. Those were my nails. They should have been going through my hands and feet. That was my crown of thorns. It was for my head. And we see Judah here looking right into the eyes of Jacob in verse 9 and saying, I will be surety for him. And as we see that, we can see the Lord Jesus Christ looking right into the eyes of God the Father and taking this personal responsibility for us. As he said in John 6.37, he says in John 6.37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And again, picture the Lord Jesus Christ, and he has looked into the Father's eyes, and now he's looking at us, and he says in John 6.39, John 6.39, this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. So when Judah... He goes down now to Egypt with Benjamin. All he can think of as he's traveling down there is the promise I made to my father. I will bring Benjamin back home again. And it's just like you can see Judah say, he could have said the words of John 6, 37. As he's going down there, he's marching down there to Egypt, and he said, all that the father gives to me shall come to me. This is the father's will that he which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. I should not lose nothing. Benjamin, just think of the Lord Jesus standing before the Father and saying about those that were so lost in sin, us. And he's saying, I will be the guarantee for him. I'll bring him back to you safe and sound. I'll send him before you. If I don't, I'll bear the blame forever. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Now, just as Judah says in verse 9, of my hand shalt thou require it. That's a very, very interesting phrase. Of my hand shalt thou require it. You know, it reminds us of when the Lord Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 27, John 20, 27, then saith he to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. He told Thomas to reach his finger and touch his hands to see how the judgment for our sins was required at the hands of the Lord Jesus. It was the nail marks that showed the judgment for our sins that was required at the hands of the Lord Jesus. And then Judah goes on to say in verse 9, if I don't bring Benjamin back, let me bear the blame forever. That's like a prophecy, a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah from Judah, who did bear the blame of our sins, It was very hard for the Lord Jesus Christ to see him bearing our blame in Isaiah 53.10. Isaiah 53.10, when it says, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. How can that be? 
It pleased the Lord to bruise him. God bruising God. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. We're told that it pleased the Lord to bruise the Lord Jesus, that it was God the Father who put the Lord Jesus to grief. That's astounding. That's that's just astounding. It shows how much God loved us, how much he wants to save us from our sins. And but then he puts a great challenge in Isaiah 53:10. Isaiah 53:10 when it says, "When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin." Actually the word when it, it's good when it's anticipation but the, actually it's the word im which is the word if. So it's really an if. If thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Im tashim if you put Hashem your guilt show on his soul, on his soul. So the question for every person is whether or not they have put their guilt on the Lord Jesus. And if anyone does, then something wonderful happens. He shall see his seed. He becomes a child of God. He shall prolong his days. He gets eternal life. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He is used of God. But this, this concept of placing guilt on the soul of the Lord Jesus, that where the Lord Jesus bears our blame. And we placed our guilt on him. He bore our blame. He was judged on the cross for our sins, the sins that made us guilty. But there's, there's another aspect of Judah. When Judah says, let me bear the blame forever, and that can be seen in the descendants of, of Judah when they said this terrible thing, maybe the worst thing that they ever said in Matthew 27, 25, 2725, then answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. That was a very sad day, very sad day for the Jewish people when they said that, that they could bear the blame. But they will come to a place where they're going to admit this blame. And that's going to begin to open the door of repentance and the restoration, Israel restoration, back to God. When, we'll, when what will happen is foretold in Zechariah 12.10. In Zechariah 12.10, it says, God says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplications, prayers. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is bitterness for his firstborn. That's going to be the day when the Jewish people will no longer say the Romans killed him, but they're going to say they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and mourn for him as one mourns for his son. At that time, the guilt, the shame, the feeling is going to be so strong. They're in danger of, you saw me, of being plunged in deep distress as the hymn said. He saw me plunged in deep distress. And then the Lord Jesus will fly, as the hymn says, to their relief. He saw me plunged in deep distress and flew to my relief. This is, and that's Zechariah 13.1. Zechariah 13.1 is where the Lord sees them plunged in deep despair, and he flies to their relief, and it says in Zechariah 13.1, in that day there shall be a fountain opened to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
for sin and uncleanness. Oh, that's a great, that's great. Well, so we have a prophetic meaning behind verse 9. Now, it seems that Mr. Judah here is, in verse 10, is beginning to lose his patience. And he seems to snap now at Jacob, where he says in verse 10, for except we, except we had lingered, which is your fault, Dad, uh, surely now we had returned the second time. So it appears here that Judah is just getting a little short with Jacob, and now he's accusing Jacob of lingering while they all starve. That's kind of a bad situation. It's, it's a bad situation that's getting worse. It's actually escalating to a potential very bad argument between Judah and Jacob. And so what Judah is saying here is that if you had not stood in our way, we'd be eating food right now. But Jacob, is he along with all of them, is at this gnawing stomach, the starvation. It's a powerful argument. And, 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 and you can say what you want about Judah, but one thing is clear. He's persuasive. Judah is persuasive. And Judah refers to the next trip down to Egypt, and he says, except we had lingered, surely now we had returned this second time. It's this title. He says, we had returned this second time. This is the first reference to the second trip down to Egypt. It's a very important reference because everything's going to change now on this second trip down. Stephen, as he, was, as he was meditating on this passage here in Genesis, he picks up on that word second time, actually in his last words before he was martyred in Acts 7. And he says second time, that's so important. And so he says in Acts 7.13, Acts 7.13, Peter says, and at the second time, Joseph was made known to his brethren and Joseph's kindred was made known to Pharaoh. The, the great second time that Stephen refers to here is from what Judah said to Jacob. And the second time in our history is going to be when the brothers will come to repentance and there will be a restoration. So the second time prophetically is when the Jewish people will come to see that the Lord Jesus Christ is their Messiah, is their shepherd, is their Savior, is their God in Zechariah, as we just was, were reading. And we're looking forward to that. We're all looking forward to that. And that's what all this is all about in all of this. This is the looking forward to the second time when this is all going to happen, when they'll follow Thomas and call the Lord Jesus my Savior and my God. Now, we read the response of Judah's arguments there in verse 11, where it says, And their father Israel said unto them, If it must be so now, do this. Take of the best fruits in the land of your vessels, carry down a man a present, a little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, nuts, almonds. What a beautiful statement that is. I mean, you know, he said, why is it so beautiful? Because it's no longer Jacob who is stomping his foot down in Genesis 42, 38 and saying, my son shall not go down with you. That's not happening here. This is Jacob speaking with the tone of Different, a different tone. He's not saying, I don't care what anybody says. I'm not allowing Benjamin to be taken away from me, and I don't care what the will of God is. That's not what he's doing here. Have you ever been there? No, just me. Okay. <laughs> you ever stomped your foot down and said, I will not, under any circumstances, over my dead body? The answer is no. I've done that. And Jacob did that. 
And Jacob did that in Genesis 42, 38. That was definitely Jacob speaking. It was the, it was the lower nature, Jacob. And every time Jacob did that, he remembered what God said to him in Genesis 35, 10. Genesis 35, 10, God said unto him, thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Wouldn't you get the feeling when God says that, oh, your name is Jacob. How many times do I have to keep telling you, I don't want you to name to be Jacob anymore. I want you to be Israel. And every time we let our lower nature take control of us and say, I want it, and I don't care if God doesn't want me to have it, I want it. Then God says something like Genesis 35, 10 to us. Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called anymore Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. Or maybe God would say to us, thy name is stubborn. <laughs> thy name shall not be called anymore stubborn, but Christian shall be thy name. Well, when Jacob is acting like a stubborn Jacob and not the father that was supposed to be teaching his children to follow God, and this shows the beauty of verse 11. Because verse 11 is a big change. It's, it's all changed now. Now Jacob has yielded to God, and he's being a good father to his children. He's teaching them by his actions how to yield to God. And that's why it, the name changes in verse 11. Back in the other one, in 42:38, it was Jacob said. It's not Jacob speaking now in verse 11. It's now, and their father Israel said. It's not the bullheaded Jacob speaking. This is now the spirit-controlled Israel speaking. He's being the father to these children that they need to see. He's under the control of the Spirit of God. And now Jacob says in verse 11, if it must be so now, if it must be so now, which is the title of this message, if it must be so now, this statement is not from a man who says, I said my son shall not go, and I can't change what I said. That would have been wrong for Jacob to take that position. But when Jacob says, if it must be so now, we see now in Jacob an example for us to follow. Here's a sweet spirit of reasonableness. Here's a willingness to change the mind, to change the purpose. And notice what the spirit-controlled Israel says. In verse 11, and their father Israel said unto them, if it must be so now, and then in verse 13, take also your brother, that's repentance. And in verse 14, and God Almighty give you mercy. So now we see the spirit-controlled Israel, he accepts the will of God, he repents, he reverses his course, and then he goes on into a orientation of prayer, asking God for mercy. In contrast, to the previous chapter where it was the stomping of the foot, and no, I will not let Benjamin go. But that was the person named Jacob. That was Jacob speaking. He represents the lower nature that wants his way. But here is the person named Israel. And Israel is speaking who represents the spirit-controlled nature that accepts and yields to God's will and then trusts God for a good outcome to take care of Benjamin. It's the same person. It's the same person. He's got two names, Jacob and Israel. It's the same person. He's got two natures. In chapter 42, it was the flesh-controlled lower nature named Jacob that spoke. In chapter 43, 
It's the spirit-controlled nature named Israel that's speaking. It's the same person. It's just a question of who is in the driver's seat. That's the only question. It's just a question of who is in control of that person and that, that, that determines where his words are coming from. Was this Jacob speaking or Israel speaking? The same is true of us. We're one person. But just like Jacob, we have two natures. We have a Jacob lower nature. We have an Israel higher nature. And this up and down and seesaw and back and forth tug of war between our two natures, which are called in the New Testament, the law of the mind and the law of sin, it's frustrating. And this frustrating is expressed in Romans 7.15. In Romans 7.15, you can see the seesaw back and forth tug of war where it says in Romans 7.15, for that which I do, I allow not. And that what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. I then do that which I would not. I consent to the law, which is good. Now, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil that I would not, that I do. Now, if I do what I would not, it's no more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God. That's the one nature. After the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity to the law of sin. That's the other nature which is in my members. So Jacob and Israel are at war with each other inside the same person. That's why Paul says, that's a bad situation. That's a wretched man to have a war going on between two natures. Reminds me of uh, the old chief who had these two dogs, and one was a white dog and one was a black dog, and they were always fighting with each other. And so the man came up to him, and he says, chief, which one wins? <laughs> the white dog or the black dog? And the chief says, the one that I say sick him to. That's the one who does. So anyway, this is the situation. Now, God knows that we've got this internal struggle. He knows that, and so he says, he, God says to us, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, in Galatians 5.16. Galatians 5.16. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the laws of the, of the flesh. In other words, say to the Spirit, sick him. All right. Now, this was the case with Jacob. He had to face what, what, looked, what at that moment looked inevitable. He had to be flexible, and he was, and he said, okay, if it must be so now. And we come to those places where we face the inevitable in our lives. And we have to be flexible, and we have to say, if it must be so now. I talked to a mother in the Midwest this last week, and um, dear person, believer, she told me how her daughter had a lump in the back of her knee, and the doctor said, it's cancer. It's cancer, young girl. And of course, the first thing that happens is you say, no, I don't believe it. Okay, a, a miracle is going to come. I know a miracle is going to come. I want a miracle. A miracle is going to come. But then, you know, you get to the point where you have to say, as Jacob did, if it must be so now, okay. 
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher Tom Cantor here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program was brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.